0: Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure for Wendy and me to uh, spend this weekend with you, more than the weekend, these days with you. Thank you for your very loving and warm welcome. It's a joy to be here. Wonderful to worship Jesus like that tonight and get our focus on him with all our hearts, anticipate the day when we shall see him and uh, be in his glorious presence forever as sons of the living God. What a marvelous prospect that is. Well, as I promised this morning, um, I'm going to continue this afternoon. Uh, If you were not here this morning, I think it'll stand on its own, as it were. But if you were, it would just follow on from what we were looking at this morning, where we saw that through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, we can reign in life. Nothing to do with our skill, nothing to do with what we bring to the table. All we bring to the table is our failure, our sin, We fell short of the glory of God. That's what we we just come needy people. But God has made this incredible provision to bless us and shower mercy and love upon us. And let us reign in life, to enjoy life because of what he's done for us. Free from guilt, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Simply because we are in Christ. That's the end of all condemnation. We enjoy fellowship with the living God and the wonder of the Holy Spirit being with us. So... I'm going to read in uh, chapter 6 now. We finished this morning uh, with that question uh, that's there at the beginning of uh, chapter 6. It's like, well, if God's happy to see us as righteous anyway, shall we carry on sinning then? That sounds like an easy deal. You do what you like. We're not on the law anymore. We do what we like. And, and so the Bible, uh, let that question comes to the surface. The Bible's not scared of that question. The question comes to the surface, and then, of course, Paul answers it magnificently in this chapter. Okay, so Romans 6, once again, I'm reading from the NASB, so it may uh, differ here and there if you use... We use so many different translations these days, don't we? Anyway, here we go. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing That Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace holy spirit we do welcome you we've been singing and we welcome your presence come please come and be our teacher come and lead us into truth we welcome you holy spirit amongst us lead us into truth we pray in jesus name amen Amen. So, shall we carry on sinning then? You don't often get Christians who say that to one another. Hey, shall we carry on sinning? Uh, It's more the other question that gets raised, to be honest, often by a new Christian is, how do you actually stop sinning? How do you live the holy life? That, that's the that's the call of Christians to walk worthy of Christ, to walk to be holy as He's holy. That's what we're invited to do. That's what God wants us to be. That's the whole point of our being saved—that we might be children of this wonderful holy Father. And so, that, it's not so much shall we carry on sinning, but how, how do we how do we stop sinning? It's wonderful to know our sins have been forgiven, but how about breaking the power of sin? It reminds me of what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. In fact, many theologians would say that Romans 6 is built on the story of the Exodus, that deliverance. And it's wonderful that the Passover had been experienced. These Israelites, there was a day of judgment. God had been judging Egypt. He had uh, sent the many plagues, and then there came the ultimate plague, the destruction of the firstborn of every home. And and the angel of death swept through Egypt. Every home, the firstborn died. But the believers, the Hebrews, were told to take a lamb. has to be a perfect spotless lamb. Take a lamb, slaughter it, and put the blood on the doorposts. And when I pass through in judgment, where I see the blood, I'll pass over you that's the wonder of our gospel really there in the old testament well i see the blood i will pass over you it wasn't for the uh, israelites to see it. it wasn't for the israelites to open the door and go outside and say well i don't know it doesn't make me feel much better it wasn't for them to see it wasn't for them to particularly glory in it was god saying when i see the blood god alone knows the value of the blood of the lamb god knows that it satisfies him in the mystery of God's purpose, the blood of the lamb satisfies him. And if he's satisfied, we have peace with God. And so these Jews, they knew that wrath was taken away from them because lambs had died. They didn't have to have death in their homes. And so, wonderful, they're forgiven, the mercy, because the lamb has died. But then they're on their journey, and, well, there's the Red Sea. That's it. I mean, we're forgiven, but we're still slaves. I know as a young Christian, as a teenager, that's exactly how I felt. I thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. But how do I get free from this kind of slavery to stuff that's had control over my life? How do I actually get free? How do I get out? And that's what the uh, Israelites went through. Forgiven, but here comes the Egyptian army. I can imagine some of them saying, oh, no, there's my slave master. I'm still a slave. And we know what happened. The Red Sea opened and they went through. They got complete, they were completely rescued. And so they were absolutely freed. Now it's important for us to come to this passage and see how do we live the holy life. And some would say, well, you need the law. Well, we saw this morning the law hasn't got the power to make us holy. The law made nothing holy, it says in Hebrews. Just can't do it. So some say, "Well, well, just let go and let God. You hear that little phrase. Sometimes it's kind of trying to sum up the grace message, but it's not biblical. If it was just let go and let God, the epistle could finish here, couldn't it? Paul could just say, so in view of all this, let go and let God. Goodbye, love, Paul. End of epistle. But he doesn't. He spells it out step by step. And it has to do with knowing some things and doing some things. That's what he's going to show us in this sixth chapter. You have to know some stuff. How do I get free? Jesus said this, you will know the truth and the truth will free you. It's knowing the truth, God's truth, knowing it. And sometimes believers don't know it and so they go back to the law to try and get help. But Paul is saying, no, no, you need to know some things and then you need to do some things. Okay, we're gonna look at that. So, first of all, do you not know? That's how he starts. Do you not know? What does he say? Well, first of all, he says, Do you not know that all of us? All right, these are kind of preliminary statements to see here. He's gonna tell us how to be free from sin in this chapter. And notice this he says, all of us. Well, that's very encouraging. He's not saying, you know, there are sinners. Then there's kind of ordinary Christians. And then there's the special Christians who've actually died to sin. I mean, wow, they're very special. He doesn't say that. He does not say that. He says all of us. You're either in Adam and a sinner or you're in Christ and all this is true of us. All right? So This is good, this is good news. The gospel is good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. All of us. Do you know that all of us and notice this also he's going to tell them what has already happened to them do you not know that all of us that were baptized into him have been baptized into his death all of us have been have been and so when i finish this evening i'm not going to invite you would you like to take this step it's not a future thing Paul is saying you need to know something it's happened to all of us that's, that's God's perspective, we're going to see that as we go through God has done it we need to know it God has done it, not we have to do it, we need to know it, knowing it will set us free, sadly some people don't know it, but here it's made quite clear do not know it it says we are baptized into his death so we're not looking for our personal death-to-sin experience. I had a Christian friend years ago who fasted to try and have a death-to-sin experience. I think nearly killed him anyway. trying to have a... No, it doesn't say you will have a death-to-sin experience. It says you were baptized into his death. He experienced it. You were in him. Do you not know all of us who were baptized into his death? death and, and notice this he's not i don't think highlighting baptism as such it's about our union with jesus sometimes in the epistles baptism is used as shorthand for conversion because if you read the new testament anyone who got saved got baptized it's just it goes together some people in england there was a, a denomination that said you got a sin problem you probably weren't baptized properly Come to our church. We'll baptize you properly. That's what they were saying. But that's not what this text means. It's not highlighting baptism. It is saying being united with Jesus. All right? It's important for us to see that. You're with Christ. All right? You are in him. It's something that's already happened to you. Verse 6. Knowing this, that your old man or your old self was crucified with Christ. Now, this is where... Faith steps in, all right? Because you might say, well, my old self doesn't feel very crucified. That's my problem. But God says your old self, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, your old self was crucified with him. It's not an experience you're reaching for. It's by virtue of your being in him that it has happened to you. That's what God says is true. You can't take it to a higher court. God says it's true. There is no higher court. You can't say, well, I don't think I can. No, no, God says that we were crucified with him. My old man was crucified. My old self was crucified with him. And you, if you're in Christ, you might say, oh, I don't know if I feel that. That's not the last arbiter, whether you feel it. Let me ask you this. Do you, men, me, uh, do you believe that two men were crucified with Christ, one on the right hand and one on the left? We believe that? Why do you believe that? It says so in the Bible. In other words, you've got the same reason for believing that you were crucified with him. The Bible says so. The Bible says two men were crucified with him. So we believe it. Jesus says you were crucified with him. That's the truth. That's what God says. We don't argue with God. We don't say, no, that's not true. Because God says it is true. And he that has died, it says in verse 7, is freed from sin. That is the way out. We've done. It's like the uh, Egyptians pursued the Israelites. They went down into the Red Sea. They came up the other side. When the Egyptians tried to do it, not one of them could get through. And sometimes when Satan's saying, I've got you, you know I've got you. You know that sin, I've always got you. You want to turn around and say to him, how many Egyptians got through the Red Sea? Not one. I'm free. We've got to proclaim our freedom, celebrate our freedom, rejoice in our freedom, and not live in that world of doubt and saying, well, I don't know. Because God says it's true. God said to Abraham, he's an old guy, he's got a barren wife. He said, you shall, see, can you count the stars? How many can you see? And he said, so many will your children be. And he could have said, well, I haven't produced one yet. So many will your children be. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. We're called believers. so that we, we believe this. We, he that has died is freed from sin. I remember, again, as I was a young Christian, I used to commute from my hometown of Brighton to London every day. And one day I was sitting in the compartment and actually I was reading my Bible. And in my mind I had this, this real challenge of, I don't know why, but I'd suddenly become very jealous of someone else in the youth group. And I don't remember feeling particularly jealous before, I'm kind of laid back. And, but I was, I, I was really jealous. And I, 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 every time they did something I got very envious and I hated this internal thing. And one Sunday, in quite a big church, my pastor was a great preacher, it was about 800 on a Sunday, and he's preaching, and he says, as one of my young people said to me, and quoted them. I thought, oh, I was quoting that. and I was in a real mess, and I'm sitting on the train, and I'm thinking, Lord, I hate this. I'm supposed to be a Christian, and I've got this horrible attitude. Lord, is there no freedom from this? And this honestly happened. English people in trains are very peculiar. They, well, they get on the train, they put their thing up on the top, they open their paper, or these days look at their phone, and uh, they don't talk to anybody. That's it. And, and I'm reading my Bible. And I suddenly saw this He that has died is freed from sin. I'm reading Romans 6. He that has died. I thought, hey, I've died. Dead people aren't envious. And it was so real to me, I laughed out loud. I remember all the, all the newspapers came down, and the heads go, What's he looking? <laughs> didn't know the Bible had so many jokes in it. But I, I laughed out loud, and I was free from that moment. I never had a bad attitude to that person again. In fact, we became very good friends. I suddenly saw it I've died, I'm free. He that has died is free. That's, what, that's the Bible's way of escape from the power of sin he that has died is freed from sin hallelujah that's God's way, it's not laws I can't change you, it needs something much more powerful, it needs a death Jesus died and we were in him and broke the power He broke the power we have to live there knowing it, that's the first thing Jesus said you should know the truth the truth shall make you free and so Paul says do you not know and then one more verb you find in verse uh, 12, sorry, verse 11, Romans 6:11. even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. So first of all, you know it because God says it's true, and you can't go to a higher court with what God says is true, is true. Secondly, you've got to consider it. Now, Paul often borrows words from the, Uh, the sort of judicial word world the law court you know justify is a is a is a law court word but here he borrows this world this word from the world of accountancy reckon it literally means account consider yourself free from sin therefore consider yourself think this way now it isn't like mind over matter. It's not like oh Terry's saying to us, if you think it enough, think it enough, think it enough, then you'll be free just think, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that, I'm saying it is true, therefore put your thinking in the right column if you're going to pay an accountant, you want to put the figures in the right column consider it, consider it it's true so consider it true I tell you this came alive to me very vividly very first time I ever flew overseas. And I went to Spain. My sister was a missionary at the time in Spain. And I went to visit her. And, and uh, as we arrived at Barcelona airport, the pilot said, welcome to Barcelona. The time is four o'clock. I looked at my watch and it said three o'clock. It's a perfectly good watch. And, and you know, since four o'clock. And you know, you get off the plane sometimes, and sometimes the pilot stands there, and you go, down. Oh, thank you very much, yes, it's called it four o'clock, it's three o'clock really. No, no, this is the reality, beloved. When you got to Spain, it was four o'clock, so change your watch. When you're in Christ, you're dead to sin, so change your thinking it's not that by considering it I'll make it true I'll make it true I'll make it true when we came out from England a week or so ago you're two hours different change I think I had to change my watch to be in the reality of what it is here not to make it true but to get into the reality consider it because it's true it's two hours different when you're in Christ, it's different. So think differently. That's what Paul is saying. First, know it's true because it's a revelation, the spirit of revelation, if you like. Then consider it. Get used to thinking that way. And sometimes you have sleep problems. When I go to America, you know, it's like six hours different some places, eight hours different some places. You know, your body is saying, "No, it's not that time." Why am I in bed? I'm wide awake. Or well, you're awake and think, "Why well, time I bed?" Because it's all The sooner you can get into their system, the better. The quicker you think, no, 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 I'm not going to think English time anymore. It's American time. Because that's the truth when you get there. Are we getting that? When I'm in Christ, reckon it. Because that's the truth. I don't make it true by reckoning it. I reckon it because it is true. So that's, that's stage two. First step, know it's true because God says so. Second, consider it's true. Then one more step. And this is one that sometimes the kind of super grace people, they kind of forget what it says here. We're going to look at it. It's important for us to see it. It's verse 12 where it says, therefore, verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its lusts don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God, and so on. All right, so here comes our personal responsibility regarding our bodies. Quite plain, quite simple, don't allow sin to reign. Don't offer your members as instruments. So sin is looking for somewhere to reign. It's looking for an instrument to use. When we have our worship, the musicians pick up their instruments. Music doesn't come from nowhere. They pick up their instruments. Sin is looking for an instrument. And Paul says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. I wonder why he says mortal. Why doesn't he just say body? Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why mortal? Well, because these are dying bodies. They're not immortal. And it makes it quite clear in Romans chapter 8 that we are awaiting the redemption of our body. We're awaiting that. So I have a saved soul. I'm a new man. My old man has died. I'm a new man in Christ. But this new man is living in this body. This mortal body, which is yet to be saved. We're going to get our bodies saved one day. When you get to my age, that is such good news. In fact, once you pass 21, it's pretty good news. You're going to have a new body one day. That's going to be wonderful. We haven't yet got our new bodies. And these old bodies used to have a pretty ghastly person living inside them. And we touched things we shouldn't have touched. And we looked at things we shouldn't have looked at. And we listened to stuff we shouldn't have listened to. And we said things we shouldn't have said. We used these instruments. Sin used these instruments. Now Paul is saying, take responsibility. You're a new creation. Take responsibility. We are not talking about the eradication of sin. The message of grace does not take about, it's not saying grace is, uh, sin is eradicated. We're not saying that. We're saying it's our responsibility now. And we can do it because we're new people on the inside. So we take responsibility. We don't say, oh, I can't help it. You can help it. Because you're a new person. So you take responsibility. You don't hand over your instruments. You don't say, oh, less, I always used to do that. Let's do it again. No, stop it. Make some good choices. There are guys in England who read certain newspapers because they say, oh, the football's very good, but the pictures in the front are pretty disgusting. So I take that paper for the football. I've got an amazing revelation for you. Stop taking the paper. But I always get, no, don't, see, make some wise choices. It says in the the Proverbs, a, a wise man does not walk down the street of a harlot, a prostitute. A wise man doesn't walk down that street. Well, a foolish man might say, well, that's the shortest route. I want to get from A to B. That's the obvious street to go down. Proverbs says the wise man doesn't go down that street. He makes good choices. You see, some guys say, well, when I'm with my girlfriend and we do like one another a lot and it's dark and there's no one else around, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? We kind of get into stuff we should. Hey, don't go there. Make good choices. Make choices. People often pray, say to me at the end of the meeting, would you pray a blessing on me? I say, Lord, help this guy make good choices. Because that's how we live the godly life. God has set us free. We can make very good choices from this new creation that we are inside. And we take responsibility for what we do with our hands. We take responsibility. I was in a meeting where a South African said, not I, a South African said, will all the men stand up, all the young men, all the young men stand up. And they all stood up, loads, dozens and dozens of guys. He said, now, young men, put your hand on your chest. And they all did it. He said, now say after me, this is the only chest my hand is going on before I get married. <laughs> make good choices. Say, I'm not going there. Young couples, make good choices. Don't mess up. You don't have to. You don't have to. There was no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. It's common to man. Now, that Greek phrase could be translated two different ways. It could be, every man knows it, it's common to man. Some people say, well, I I have this terrible personal temptation, it's just my problem. No, 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 it's common to man. Or it could mean, it's kind of man-sized, it's like, well, that, this is super silent. No, no, it's coming to man. Whichever way you translate it, it means it's not too hard for you. There is no temptation. They say, oh, well, I can't help it. I always mess up. Don't do it. You don't have to. Because the Bible says there is no temptation like that. But God will make a way of escape. That's God's promise. And so we mustn't hide behind things like, well, I can't really help it. Hey, you're a Christian. You've been born again. You're a new creation. Take responsibility and say, no, I'm not going there. We're not going to do that. So we take appropriate action because God has done an amazing thing in us. And so we present ourselves to God. God has changed our identity. It's so important that we understand we have had a change of identity which results in a change of lifestyle. If we don't, we say you've got to understand the identity change that gives you the life change. So imagine that this black speaker here is a pig. All right, can you imagine? He's a pig. Got him? Pig, see him, he's a pig. All right, pig, you're a pig. Fine, okay, nothing wrong with that, I'm a pig. All right, pig, that's your identity. Yeah, pig, okay. Now pig, this is your calling in life, yeah? Fly. Now, I've just made him a miserable pig because his identity, pig, and his calling, fly, is impossible to him. God has changed our identity so we can fly. We're no longer sinners. In fact, it says here, you used to be slaves of sin and you became slaves of righteousness. You used to be slaves of sin. I would love to borrow, but I won't, one of these wires and try and act this out for you. Imagine a wire around my neck, a rope around my neck. And, and, and sin says, come on, slave. Okay, I'm just a slave. And sin says, come on. Okay, okay, I'm a slave of sin. That's where are we going? We're going downtown. Okay, where are we going? The market. Okay, the market. Wait here. Okay, wait here. Sin goes off righteousness walks through the market says hmm i think i'll buy you oh i'm a slave of sin yeah i'll pay them for a full right really yeah okay so we take the rope off i'm no longer a slave of sin and righteousness puts his rope around me and says come on okay i'm a slave of righteousness that's a new identity that's a new master it's not an exhortation to be something. It's a statement of what's happened to you. We are in slavery to righteousness. We feel at home in righteousness. When we sin, we feel bad. If we sin, we think, oh, I should never have done that. And sometimes I mean crazy little things like, oh, I wish I shouldn't I have shouldn't raised my voice like that. You think, raise your voice? When you were a sinner, you'd shout at anybody. And now you say something, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't said it like that. What's your problem? I'm a slave of righteousness. I I feel at home in righteousness. I don't feel at home in sin. God's done an amazing thing in us. He's changed us. John says in his epistle, I write these things to you that you may not sin. He that is born of God doesn't sin. Boy, that's a statement. 1 John. John's first epistle I write these things to you that you will not sin. He that is born of God doesn't sin. Then in the same epistle, not a different writer, not a different day, same letter, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So what does that mean? Well, I think this is a good image It's like you live in a magnificent home. It's got a great entrance, you know, pillars and steps. God's given you a wonderful home. And the way in and out of that home is this wonderful thing, which says, he that's born of God doesn't sin. That's God's call on us. That's what he wants us to be. Be holy, I'm holy. Then it says this, if anyone sinned. There's a kind of fire escape. If anyone sinned. So that if we do say, oh Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Then we confess quickly. We do not say, oh, I'm still a sinner anyway. We don't throw everything out. We don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Oh, I'm still a sinner. No, no, no. Okay, you slipped. You confess it. And you use the fire escape. If anyone sinned, if anyone confessed their sin, he's righteous and just to forgive us. But we don't all the time live our life going out of the fire escape. More and more as we grow in God, more and more as we develop and get more and more sanctified, more and more like Christ, more and more we're walking in and out of the main entrance. He that's born of God doesn't sin because Jesus has saved us. He's rescued us. He's made us different kind of people. You were darkness. You are now light in the Lord. You've had a complete change of identity. You were darkness. You are now light in the Lord. It's a complete change of identity. Let me close with this. John Bunyan wrote this little poem. He said this Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives you neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings. It bids you fly and gives you wings let me just read it once more run John run the Lord demands but gives you neither legs nor arms better news the gospel brings it bids you fly and gives you wings amen God has set us free And that wonderful chapter which we read the first 14 verses of it starts with this question shall we carry on sinning then and then when it stops in verse 14 sin shall not be master over you you're not under law you're under grace may god make that so real to us that we enjoy living as light shining for the glory of god let me pray for you father we thank you so much for the good news of jesus lord we we worship you that you're the one who endured the cross you took the shame and we thank you you invite us into your resurrection life We thank you that we can now bear fruit for God. We thank you we're married to a new husband who imparts life to us and changes us from the inside. So, Lord, let us know what you said is true. Teach us to reckon on it. Teach us to take responsibility. Teach us to live the life that brings you glory. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.